I know I left off with talking about 12 and I. So let me just break it down to you guys about the names. Kara. She was the girl who he was introduced to from friends at work. So one day they invite us out. And this girl, Kara, is beautiful. His friends at work invite us out. We go to the club. We meet them. The whole night, I guess he was pretending to be straight because he danced with her that whole night. I wandered through the club, dancing, hanging out with other people. You can imagine what it felt like to be with him. And that's when, uh, I don't know, the jealousy or the anger, whatever it was, kicked in. And it got to a point where, you know, that night, I danced with a few people, got to know people. But I was only there to support his lie. There was times I walked up and I saw them. To be honest, it was one of the most frustrating things ever. To be with this guy. And to share what we had. It didn't become, oh, we're just roommates. This is what he told his people at work. All his friends he met at work, we were roommates and we lived together. So they wanted to meet me. I already got a glance of what they looked like and who they were. They all became very close. And the girls at the job wanted to hook him up, so they asked us to go out with them. And that's when they hooked him up with Kara. Kara's a beautiful girl, tall, thick. You know, and he had this fantasy or this uh, thing about liking girls like that. We talked about it. I understood it. Who wouldn't? So during the night at this club, it was hours, and it felt like years, I'm telling you. And when it was over, we walked back to the car. And I remember calling my godmother and saying something of the sort of, he doesn't want to be with me. And she told me to leave. And I couldn't even muster up that energy to walk away. What I remember is, it's coming back home. Um, and her texting and talking and every day he was building this kind of over the phone relationship with her. I knew where it was going. They had planned to meet places. He was still going through his transition. He wanted to date women. So I watched all this play out. 
I watched the phone calls. I read the text messages. Fueling my insanity. You would think it would end there. But it only got worse. They never really met. He got caught up in to six. Mm. And that's when I reached out to Tara. That's manipulating. I'm going to get you back stuff. And Karen told me. I picked her up at work one day. We hung out. And I told her I had this illness. Because she was a nurse. And that's when she took sympathy and I locked in on that. I'm not going to lie. I used her to get back at him. We started to hang out. They said he would go away to Atlanta. She would come here. Or the days he wouldn't come home, I would hang out with her. Yeah, he was trying to get her. But I turned and backfired. She started hanging out with me. I slept with her just to get back at him. How much harm this may have caused her. I was very selfish. I was out to hurt them both. I remember laying with her on the sofa and taking photos on my phone. I made sure he got my phone and went through it. And he saw those photos of her and I on the sofa. And his t-shirt. That was just horrible. Because I had no motives of being with her. I just felt hurt, desperate, broken by him. So the best way to get back at him was to sleep with her. So I did. The best way to get back at her was to lure her in, sleep with her. So I did. She became very fond of me. So the look I got on that elevator in D.C. was priceless. Because I wanted him to know. No. Remember the day in the club in New York City and he wanted so desperately to meet London. So, during my visit to New York, I made it very clear to go back to this club to find this individual. Yeah. I get to the nightclub me and my friend Charles. Charles didn't know I had an agenda, but I had an agenda. 
my agenda was to find London, and I did. And London and I connected. I got his number. We started to talk. You know, the night we was in that nightclub, 12, myself in London, I remember standing in the hall, in the restroom, and London asked him, let me see it, and he was willing to show it, but let's move into it, that was in, July, when all that went down. But October, when I visited New York and went back to that club and I went seeking him out, I was deceitful, vengeful, and determined to show him that everything he wanted, I could get it. So I found London. We changed numbers, we talked for days, nights, came back home. Yep. Visited New York again before I moved there in November. I went up to 168th Street to meet London. Went to his room. I fucked him silly. Yeah, I was broken on the inside. And I wanted to feel whole. And I thought if I slept with him, it would prove something. So I did. After that night, Went back to the house in Far Rockaway. That's when London and I proceeded to stay in touch. And I came back home to Chicago. London sent over photos. We talked every day and night on the phone. I thought Sleeping with these people would give me my power back. In the moment, it felt good. In the moment, I felt like I was free. In the moment, I felt like I was getting back at it. I was actually hurting people. I'm going to fast forward. I don't even know how to get into it. But I remember walking down the street with London. It felt good. But he definitely reminded me of something. What he really wanted, and it really wasn't me. So as much as I was using him, he was using me.
all this time. I have 17 years of sobriety. And I am spinning out mentally and emotionally. Frightened. Scared. Ashamed. And broken. So I land in New York in November. Charles picks me up from the airport and we head back to his house. He tells me I can live with him. See, I didn't know Charles didn't have a job. But I go there, I stay. This is after packing everything and leaving Chicago for good. I'm gonna get a fresh start. It's not how it went. My first few weeks in New York City was hell. I found myself walking down 35th Street, listening to songs, feeling like I was in a foreign country, lost. Starbucks gave me a job, and I took it. I was afraid to take the other job in St. Louis because my experience there all goes back to 12. I remember being there, and he got to meet his family, and I pretended like I was his friend. I was always pretending like I was his friend. So that experience in the nightclub with him and his cousins and him pretending to be straight, the hotel room where he talked to six all the time on the phone, If you follow me, it went on for a while. But he began to love someone else. But was still with me. And he pretended to be someone else whenever I was with him. We were really never together. So when a job opportunity came up in St. Louis, I didn't take it. I remember how sad I was and how much I didn't like being there and how frightened I was that I couldn't do the job. So I turned it out and took a job for Starbucks in New York City because I thought it would be fast, big, bright lights. But I went there empty, dark, and ready to die. So walking down those streets, 35th Street, to get to work, on 34th and Madison. The shame. The shame. The sadness. is so deeply sad. But I went. I smiled. And I worked. 
get off work, get on the train, and head all the way back to Far Rockaway. Just to sit in the attic, make videos, try to write and read. Nothing could stop me from thinking of him. Nothing could stop me from thinking of the loss of a job. Nothing could stop me from wanting to die. Not even my daughter. Got up every morning, went to work, put on my khakis and my white shirt. Took the long hour ride from Far Rockaway to New York City. And every day I walked down that street, I thought of him. And every time I stood behind that camp counter with that green apron on, I thought about what people would think of me. People would walk in there and see me pouring coffee. I was shame. I felt shame. I felt guilt. I felt less than. But there was something about being in New York. And I had one friend that was David. He knew I was hurting, so we went to clubs. I met people. I was willing to sell my body, because that's how much I hated myself. I hated myself so much, I was willing to sell myself. And I believe David saw that. So we clubbed. I didn't even have to drink. I was so crazy. I met people on the dance floor. And I seeked out people online. Continue to meet up with London. I wanted to bury all of it, the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts. I couldn't shake them. My head was talking to me. Tried to go to meetings. I reached out to people. And one day something happened. I started feeling better. I started really feeling better. And I read this book. One day my soul opened up. And I followed those 30 days of writing and reading. Got 
daru svojho. Stop hanging out with David. But I couldn't stop sleeping around. I have faces in my head that I remember, but I don't remember their names. I thought it would be the only way to get over someone. It made it worse. I just couldn't drink. I couldn't drug. But I would sleep with anyone not to feel. So I did. I met a doctor. Two of them actually. One, I don't remember his name. It was fascinating. Lorenzo. Lorenzo made me feel good. He picked me up. He thought I was handsome. feel good. Wasn't enough though. Because Lorenzo reminded me that I wasn't the only one every time we went out. And I was his last resort. Yeah. You know how you go somewhere and the lights come up and you're the only one there and Yeah, I'm going to take you, and that's what it was like. (laughs) I was seeking out someone, not finding anyone, and they, yeah, okay, we're going to connect, because I'm going to go home with you. I remember clearly New Year's Day. New Year's Eve, he's like, if I don't find anyone tonight, I'll be kissing you. That's what happened. That's what happened, because I wasn't looking for anyone. I just wanted my pain to stop. After Lorenzo, there was Lindsay. Not Lindsay. No, his name wasn't Lindsay. Lindsay was Charles's lover, my so-called brother who allowed me to stay in his house in Far Rockaway. His name was Lenny. Dr. Lenny Tikowski. I met him sitting in the meeting. I was sitting in the AA meeting, and this man was staring at me near Christopher Street. And he was just staring. Something about me fascinated him. I remember after the meeting, 
they talked. So let's go have coffee. I went to have coffee with him. And I remember sitting there telling him, I'm worth the dinner. I'm worth every penny. And I felt like I was worth two pennies, man. You can't get nothing with that. But that's how I felt. Like I was worth nothing, but the words came out of my mouth was that I'm valuable, I'm lovable, and I'm worth it. And you want to get to know me because I don't want somebody just to sleep with me. So then he showed up. He took me to art exhibits. He bought me dinner. He invited me to his home. He met up with me. He came and sat at my job and watched me work. Prescribed medication for my skin when it broke out. Something happened, my skin just started breaking out. He didn't change that. He was fascinated with me. Eventually I laid down with him. He just wanted me to be with him. He wanted to kiss me, caress me, and hold me. Touch me. His goal was to fuck me. That never happened, and he kept coming. He enjoyed me. He made me feel good. And then I met Deb. Girl that came to Starbucks all the time. She liked me. She watched me. Made me feel sexy as a man. She enjoyed flirting with me. She wanted to fuck me. I met the president of Fordham School. He wanted to touch me, kiss me, get to know me, but he wanted me to fuck him, and I did. Of all this, I was still dying on the inside. One thing it did do, it clouded my mind from thinking of him. It clouded my mind enough so that I can focus on work.
find my own apartment after my friend put me out. He didn't know I was looking for an apartment all that time, but he put me out. Charles put me out. He wanted me gone. And his lover told me because he was jealous that I had come to New York, got a job, and start finding friends. He didn't know I wasn't finding friends. I was trying to bury the pain inside of me. The hurt. So I didn't do drugs and alcohol. I found people. The more people I can pile on top of me, or I can lay over. The more I forgot about him. In spite of being spiritual and all of these things, learning and doing this 30-day self-help thing with the book by One Day My Soul Opened Up, The Power Now, and Conversations with God, something was changing. And I started going to meetings. And I saw B. Probably a year, beautiful, light skin, had a gold chain on, <laughs> giving his first talk. And instantly, the predator in me kicked in. And I wanted him. But I didn't know that God had a leash on this predator. And that God wanted me to want him. Because he changed the game for me. After going to so many meetings, asking people to sponsor me and help me. One man with 20-something years said no. I got with a group of guys. They were too whatever. I couldn't deal with that. One was too rigid. But watching B that day, I did not know God had a leash on my predator that lived inside of me. And I wanted B. And I thought B was amazing. I liked his voice. I like the way he was dressed. I like his skin tone. His message, I don't remember what he said, because the predator was awake, but God had a leash on the predator within me and wanted me to go after him. That was one of the most beautiful things ever. Walked up to B and I said, Can you help me? He said, Yes. 
had his phone number. We talked. Can you sponsor me? And he said, yes. I want you to call me every day. And we'll meet once a week to read. Oh my God. I called him every morning. Seven o'clock. Before I went into Starbucks to start work. Or even when I wasn't. He met me for coffee. It was beautiful. And somehow the predator was put to sleep and it became something else. I found my freedom. I was able to tell him everything. Mind you, I had done that self-help book, 30-day thing. And I was working with him. Call him and tell him what's going on at Starbucks, how I felt, what was going on in my head, what was wrong. He would invite me to lunch with his friends. He met me on the corner of 35th Street. He dressed well. He had his own business in Soho. I was inspired in a different way. And I was happy. God has showed up in the flesh protect me. I know that God can show up in people because that's what he did for me. He showed up in people. He showed up in me. And we were dressed for our meeting. It made me feel like I was worth it. I was valuable and I was loved. He introduced me to his wife. Introduced me to his friends. We laughed, talked, went to lunch. We would meet at meetings. We would meet once a week and read. It was like an aha moment. And I remember March. By this time, I had gotten over it. And 12 called me. And he was broken. Him and this person got into it in Atlanta. And he wanted to talk. I remember listening on the other ear. I was like, God, what do you want me to do? So I bought him a plane ticket. He came to New York. He moved into my room. I gave him a job. Gave him a credit card.
Seven months. He was fine for the first few days, the week. He had staples in his head when he arrived. I remember pulling them out. The staples was from a confrontation him and this individual had. Atlanta. He had also not worked since the day he left my home. In Chicago, he looked different. He was broken as I was. He was hurt. And he was shamed. And I saw it all. And I wanted him to be okay. So I gave him a job. Put money in the bank for him. Made him feel like he was okay. His plane arrived. He arrived at my place. Sad. Because he was feeling the same thing that I was feeling. When he left me. And I guess when he called me. From Atlanta, he told me that his friend said, why don't you call Anthony? Why don't you call Anthony is what they told him after he was beaten, hadn't worked four years. Everything that he went there for fell through. And they told him, why don't you call Anthony? And I picked up the phone. And that vicious cycle started again. 